0: Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to listen to a message recorded at Strasburg Community Church. We hope this message by Senior Pastor Steve Yahn draws you into a deeper knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that it cultivates a better relationship with Him. Now, let's get on to this week's message.
1: It was a great vacation. I mean, I appreciate you letting us have that time. The first week we, uh, we just, we rented a car, drove rented a a charger and so I've been styling along this little charger for the week and we're just driving around uh, uh, Colorado taking day trips and um, it was really excellent the second week I spent the time riding which was necessary and um, all in all it was really really good much thanks to uh, Musser is he still in here right now wherever he is Um, much thanks to him because uh, I. He just knocked it out of the park. The way he closed up uh, uh, Nehemiah was just fantastic. So uh, back as about 13, 14 years ago, um, we released our first book, probably with one of the worst titles ever given to a work of fiction. But uh, when it first came out, it created a big stir. It created a big stir because of who wrote it and not surprisingly it wasn't the associate pastor on the second line there it was because of that first name and because jason's name was on there people were talking all about it and there were all sorts of reviews that came in for this book some of them are really good some of them eh, not so good and there is one that still stays with me from uh, publishers weekly and uh, as this author or as this, this writer was reviewing it um, they were saying some good things, saying some not so good things, and they came to this one part where they said the rich details about life as an NFL player invigorate the story. Good so far. The details become problematic when the story gets wordy, as in one long and unnecessary chapter toward the end of the book. Now for those of you who have been at this church for a long time, I know you were shocked by me being accused of being wordy in the things that I write. Yeah, especially those of you who read that recent congregational letter. And I will admit, the reviewer's exactly right. I threw one chapter in there that didn't need to be in there at all, but I just had fun writing it. But uh, uh, that word problematic has stayed with me for all these years. Problematic, the problematic writing. I haven't been able to to shake that word. It comes back to haunt me. Even today, as I'm writing, the word problematic comes back. Now, I've got to say this about this reviewer the very next sentence the reviewer talks about this uh, safety deposit twist being a little bit too easy and as we all know hopefully there is no such thing as a safety deposit box there's a safe deposit box when you take your box you do not deposit it in a safety you deposit it in a safe so it is a safe deposit box. So it seems the reviewer's writing may be a little bit problematic in itself. But this word problematic, I can't shake it. And even in those times when maybe it starts to drift from my mind, I'll be playing uh, online dominoes with my buddy, Wes, and, and uh, uh, when I'm really stomping him, he will text me and he'll say, Hey, your dominoes are looking pretty good. Your writing's still problematic. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. But again, this was a first time out. It was a rookie writer. It was problematic in a lot of places. There was some problematic writing. Hopefully it's gotten better over the years. But today we are introduced to another first-time author. This is the first letter that he has published. And that author is Paul. Paul, I'm sure Paul's written hundreds of letters in the past but the one we're looking at starting this series is the very first one where he has had that inspiration of the Holy Spirit in him moving him to pick that up and to write that or to dictate um, those words that somebody else writes it for him Um, it's the first one that is included ultimately in the canon and that is first Thessalonians now there's some who say that Galatians is the first and uh, that argument can be made either way. I think the argument's stronger for 1 Thessalonians. Um, And it is a it's a great letter. As you look at the writing in this I will tell you it is anything but problematic. It's beautiful. It is so encouraging. Now admittedly he had a ringer. Okay. He had the Holy Spirit working through him. So uh, you expect it to be pretty good when you got the Holy Spirit writing with you. but when we look at this it is just such a special letter as we uh, break it apart we find a few things about it first of all it is pastoral rather than theological I'm mean, sure there's doctrine in it but it's not this great theological work like you find in uh, Romans or you find in Ephesians instead he's speaking from his heart he's he's writing to a very young church that's going through a difficult time and he wants to be there and encourage him, and he expresses his love for him, like like any pastor to the congregation. There's that that love and that concern uh, for them. So it's pastoral versus theological. It is reactive versus proactive. This was not Paul um, seeing a problem and then proactively writing to address an issue, like in First Corinthians the church in Corinth was a mess. All sorts of problems going on there so he proactively wrote to them to address various theological issues. It's not like um, Timothy and and Titus, 1st Timothy and and Titus where he is proactively writing to mentor uh, young pastors and train them up. This is reactive. He just got word that this church that he was so worried about is doing really well. And he is so excited that he grabs a little quote because he wants to get this letter off to them. He writes to them celebrating the strength. He writes to them addressing the current situation that they have. Finally, it is fatherly and forward-looking. These were his spiritual kids. Really, I mean, they were just spiritual infants or toddlers at best this is a few months after he planted the church he's writing to them and he writes as a father as a, with a father's love and a father's concern for them he gives them instruction yes but he also encourages them helping them to look at the big picture that yeah you're gonna struggle in this life as you receive this persecution from the gentiles and from the jews but you gotta look beyond just the here and now. He helps them to see that God's got a great plan and the Lord has eternity planned out and Jesus is going to return to take them to be with him. Well, The theme and the heart of this letter are seen in his prayer uh, for the church. That's found in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 11 through 13. So if you've got your Bibles, this one I'll go ahead and put up on here to you though. First Thessalonians three, eleven through thirteen, we see this prayer that Paul gives. He writes, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another for everyone, just as we do for you. May He make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. He encourages them, he strengthens them, encourages them to, to be strong in the Lord with the love of the Lord, and then let that love overflow, overflow to the people around you. Both those who are part of the one another's, but also for those who are persecuting. So that's going to be our, uh, our new series. We're going to look at this wonderful letter of 1 Thessalonians. Now as we do, every time we start a new series, we've got to lay the foundation. So this is introduction week, which means we're going to get through the grand total of uh, one verse. So uh, hopefully we'll pick up a little momentum after that. But we want to get the whole background of who are these people that he's writing to. How was this church planted? And uh, what's the situation that's causing him to write this? The uh, the date of the writing probably around A.D. 50 to 51, so about 17, 18 years after Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion and and resurrection and ascension up into heaven. Um, it was a uh, uh, Thessalonica is a a city in Greece that still exists today. A lot of the cities um, that we find in, in the Bible and the New Testament don't exist anymore, like Ephesus, you can go and find the ruins. Uh, Berea, you can go and find some just scant ruins here and there. But Thessalonica still exists. It's the city of Thessaloniki. And it's, again, part of Greece. It's a bustling seaport. It's at the head of the Thermaic Gulf. It was a very important trade center in the time of of, uh, Paul very important trade center because it was as again as a seaport and the goods would come in and it was at a very important crossroads you had from east to west was the Ignatian Way and that went all the way from the Adriatic Sea across past the Aegean Sea all the way to the Baltic Sea so this huge east-west corridor but it was also a place that went north up towards the Danube so there's a lot of activity taking place there because of that the city grew upwards around 200,000 people in this city of Thessalonica. It was uh, the capital of the province of Macedonia. Macedonia was what was known as an imperial province, which means they loved the emperor. They were all about Rome. Macedonia was not about rebellion or anything like that. They were Roman through and through. Um, as a result, there was a, a lot of uh, emperor worship that took place there, but just a whole bunch of idol worship. It took place also. Now, to kind of give you the, the feel of how the Church of Thessalonica came to be and, and why this letter came to be, I want to give you a little bit of history of the second missionary journey, and hopefully to prevent your eyes from glazing over, we are going to have some visuals. So bear with me on this. Here's our map of the Mediterranean, And where our story starts is you've got Paul in Antioch. And Paul, by the way, Paul, rumor was Paul was bald, so Paul's got no hair there. But uh, Paul, he was in Antioch and he's with Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy he went through it, he went on his first missionary journey with. And they were talking, saying, You know, it sure would be nice to go back to some of those uh, churches that we planted. On our first missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, great idea, let's do that. And Paul's like, oh, who should we take? Barnabas says, hey, I know, let's take John Mark. Let's take John Mark again. And and Paul's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Remember on our first missionary journey, we took John Mark with us and he bailed out in Cyprus. I don't want to deal with that kid again. He's not ready. We can't afford to send him back. But Barnabas, Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement, Barnabas is like, hey, yeah, come on, let's just give him a second chance. He'll do great this time. Paul's like, I'm not having him. Come on, come on. And they, it got so heated that Paul's like, okay, Barnabas, you go your way. Barnabas is like, okay, Paul, you go your way. So Barnabas and John Mark took off in their own and instead Paul teamed up with Silas. Now Silas can tell him apart because he's the one with the Elvis hair. Not sure why, I just kind of like to think of him as a guy with a pompadour. So, you've got uh, Paul and Silas, and they start out on this second missionary journey. And they head north, and ultimately they start heading west. And they start going through some of those uh, uh, original churches that they planted before, and they came to this town of Lystra. In Lystra, there was this young man. His name was Timothy. And they saw this guy, Timothy, and they're like, man this kid, this kid's got it going on. And they invited him to come along. But Timothy's like, yeah, of course. And of course, you can tell Timothy because he's the smaller one with the beaver hair. Now, and most people didn't know that, but he wasn't just a believer, he was a believer. So uh, uh, you've got these three guys, and they continue on their missionary journey heading west, but they're not sure where God's taking them. They say, okay, God, should we head over into Asia? But the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not where I want you to go. Okay, uh, I know, let's head up to Bithynia. Bithynia would be great, let's head up north. Holy Spirit said, no, Bithynia, that's not where I want you to go. Okay, well, we'll just keep heading west until you tell us where you want us to be. And they end up in the, uh, uh, the port town of Troas. And while they're there one night, Paul gets this dream. And there's this man there. And the man says, come to Macedonia. We need you here in Macedonia. Just right across the river, the, the water. Just hop on over. We need you here. So they said, fantastic. Let's go to Macedonia. So they crossed the water, and they started going to some of the towns over there, and they ended up eventually in Philippi. Now, we just heard what happened in Philippi. We don't know what was going on with Timothy. Maybe because Timothy was still a, a younger guy, he may have stayed more with the church that was, that was growing up there. All we know is that Paul and Silas were the ones that were wandering around and that were preaching. Timothy may have been along, may not have been noticed because you know, nobody takes seriously somebody with a you know beaver haircut. So they're wandering around. That's when they got arrested. Let's uh, zoom in a little bit, make it a little bit easier to see. That's when they got arrested and we had the whole story we talked about earlier they finally broke out but once they were out the leaders of the town said okay you're free now get out of here Paul I love this because Paul's got a little bit of that I'll uh, um, Oh, i can not remember that passive aggressive to him got just a little bit of passive aggressive just enough to make him fun and he says uh, you know sure would love to leave but uh, we're Roman citizens and your leaders beat us without trial. You can't do that to a Roman citizen. So how about you have your leaders come and apologize to us and escort us out of the city. But when the the leaders heard about this, they're like, we did what? To a who? To a Roman citizen? So they rush on over and they, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. Let's just escort you. We'll carry your bags for you. Just, Just head on out of town. So they left town and they journeyed down to Thessalonica. That's how they ended up uh, in this city. And uh, rather than just telling you about Thessalonica, let's read this. You got your Bibles. Turn to Acts 17. And in verses 1 through 9, we read about their time, the time of these three guys in Thessalonica. So Acts 17, starting with verse 1. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and in Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city attacking Jason's house. Jason was where Paul and Silas and Timothy were staying. They searched for them to bring them out Uh, to the public assembly when they did not find them they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too and Jason has welcomed them they are acting all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees saying that there's another king Jesus Well, the crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset after taking a security bond from Jason and the others they released them Let's just look down at at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So, you've got uh, uh, everything going just dandy in the town. Three weeks in a row, uh, Paul was preaching from the synagogue. And then in that in-between time, he's dealing with the Greeks, with the Gentiles, letting them know about this Christ. And a fledgling church started... People came to know the Lord, and it started to grow, but then the Jews raised up again. And they chased them out because they saw that their power, their authority was being challenged. So they chased them out, and Paul and Silas fled down to Berea. We don't see anything about Timothy going with them. Timothy may have gone along, or it's possible that Timothy stayed behind for at least a little bit in Thessalonica. Because we don't hear about him for a while. Eventually, we see that that uh, uh Timothy joins them down there in Berea, and they have a number of weeks where they're ministering in Berea and planting a church there and starting to grow the believers there. But eventually, all the Jews up in Thessalonica heard what was going on in Berea, and they weren't having it, so they came down and chased. Paul out of there. Again, Paul was that main figurehead. And they came after Paul. Paul fled south to Athens. Meanwhile, Silas and Timothy stayed behind to work in that church in Berea for a while. After a time, Paul sends for Timothy. So Timothy comes down, but we don't hear about Silas. Most people believe that Silas went up to Philippi to help with that fledgling church because, remember, they only had time to save one family. It was just the jailer, and then they had to get out of town. So a lot of folks believe, again, this is speculation, that uh, Silas, since he wasn't uh, talked about heading down to Athens, that he likely went up to Philippi and helped them to start building up this church. Paul cannot get the Thessalonians out of his mind. Again, there was just this this young church, and he knew the persecution they were under. He knew how rough it was with that that militant uh, synagogue community that kept coming after them. So Paul's worried, are they still strong? Are they holding up under this persecution? So when Paul couldn't handle it anymore because he couldn't just you know, pick up a phone and call him. He, he sent Timothy. Timothy goes up to Thessalonica. Meanwhile, Paul moves from Athens over to Corinth. And he settles in Corinth for the next year and a half. Now sometime after Paul is in Corinth, he sends for Timothy and he sends for Silas. And they come down and they meet him in Corinth and they're so excited to see each other they just have a great party time and the reason why they're so excited is cuz Paul brings back or Timothy brings back this message to saying the church in Thessalonica it's still going and they still love the lord and it's rough but they're bearing up under it and Paul hears this and he is so excited by what he's heard that he immediately reacts and he writes this letter and the letter is sent then up to Thessalonica and that letter is what we're gonna be studying over the weeks ahead so let's look at that letter turn to first Thessalonians and like I said we're gonna get through a grand total of one verse today, but it's a verse that people so often skip past because you find the same type of verse in most of the letters. In First Timoth- First Thessalonians 1 Timothy or 1 Thessalonians 1:1, we find Paul Sylvanus, which is just another name for Timothy, Paul Sylvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and. Grace to you and peace. Those words. There's so much to those two words. Grace and peace. Now, I, I, both words come from standard letters of that time. Grace was the word that most Gentile letters would start with. Most Greek uh, letters would start with. It's the word charis and it was just a, a standard greeting. And peace well, that's the Hebrew word, shalom. They would, that would be their standard greeting. So it's a, a greeting to both the, the Gentiles and the Jews of this church in, uh, uh, in Thessalonica. But it also reflects the character of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's not just for the Jews, it's not just for the Gentiles, it's for all people of all time. Think of that word, grace. There's so much that word grace. Remember, grace is receiving what we do not deserve. And grace, even on a wider scale, grace is just treating people properly, showing people grace, forgiving people, treating them with respect. You look in our culture today, there is so little respect. So little respect in discourse, so little respect in our attitudes towards one another. We are so divided. And it's not just a peaceful divide, it's a nasty divide. Especially because we've got social media involved. There is so little grace in our culture. That's why a church like this, where we have grace, where we treat each other with respect and with love and with honor, where we go after the and, and, and strive for those one another's. Why it's, it's so refreshing to people coming from the outside because they see harmony, they see unity, they see true love for one another. This church is a place of grace but it's also a place of peace. And peace again we look out of this world and there is so little peace so little peace in our nation there's so little peace in our world that's why it was so fantastic to see what took place in the Middle East this last week we've got Israel and the United Arab Emirates normalizing relationship that's huge that hasn't happened since Egypt and and Jordan you know years ago and this is hopefully the first of many Saudi Arabia's right on the I mean Saudi Arabia of all countries is ready to normalize relations with Israel also again we're seeing peace starting to break out in the Middle East a lot of it's because you know the the enemy of my enemy is my friend and everyone is looking at Iran and everyone is looking at Hezbollah in uh, in uh, Lebanon and They're uniting together against this common enemy. And God is able to use this to bring peace to a place that has just been at each other's throat for decades. But true grace and true peace, there's a source for those. And the source for those is from the gospel. Without the gospel, there would be no grace, there would be no peace. What grace, what peace would we have in our hearts without the gospel and in Acts 17 where we look at that that brief little section where Paul is is preaching in Thessalonica his whole message is all focused on the gospel the power of the gospel again in Acts 17 2 and 3 said uh, we, we read earlier as Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining And proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. It was all about Jesus, all about the gospel. Now, what was his source? Well, his source was the scriptures, because he's going into a synagogue. And what's going to convince these Jews in the synagogue? Not some guy coming in here and just telling them, you know, what he thinks. They're all about tradition. They're all about the word. So he used the word of God to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the true Christ. And that's why you have some of those Jews coming to know the Lord, and that's also why you have so many others rising up against him because he was using their own ammunition against them to prove that Jesus, again, was the Christ. His source was the scripture, but his message was so simple. Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Savior of mankind. Jesus is not just another prophet. He wasn't just another good man. He is God himself. That's something that, that it's so key to everything that we hold true. That Jesus isn't just another guy. Just another good guy. But Jesus is God. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. In the Word being Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus, the creator of all things. He is God himself. See, Paul went in there, he proved who Jesus was, and he proved also what he did. What did he do? He died for our sins. He went to their own scriptures. He went back to the, the Pentateuch, to the, the, uh, to the Torah. He went to the, the, uh, the writings, the poetry. He went especially to the prophets. The prophets are full of references to this Christ. I would be shocked if he didn't end up in in uh, Isaiah in 53 cuz it's so clear there. Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he, this Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Again, it's because of our sins that he suffered. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It's a gospel right there. It can't be more clear. The Messiah, the Messiah suffered and died for our sins. And because of what he did, we are healed. Healed from what? Not a physical healing, but a spiritual healing that sickness of sin is removed from us through the grace of God through his mercy and through our faith in him because of that we have hope he proved what he did he died for us but he didn't just die for us Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that he also rose again for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures what we just talked about, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then Paul goes on from there to talk about all sorts of witnesses who saw this risen Jesus. Now, he died, he rose again. Now, what does that mean for us? It means eternal life. When we receive him as our Lord and as our Savior. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. It's black and white. There's nothing in between. It's a purely either or. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Either or. If you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, but when the day comes that you will see God face to face, you're on your knees before Him, there will not be a day of rejoicing. But again, recognize it's all about the Son. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what we do. It's not about us earning our salvation. It's not about our good works. It's not about our beliefs. It's about what Jesus Christ did for us. God himself became one of us. The perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% man. He lived his life here. He was arrested. He was beaten. He died on that cross. He rose again. He ascended to heaven, and he is there preparing a place for us because he's going to take us to be with him. That is the gospel. And it's all again because of what he has done, not what we have done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 it says, it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, not ourselves, not by works that so we can't go around boasting, of, oh yeah, I'm, I'm more saved than you are because look at all the things I've done. Who cares what you've done? It's all about what Jesus has done. It's by grace you've been saved. That wonderful, every gift of salvation held out to us that we receive. We receive by faith. By receiving Him as our Lord and our Savior. By saying, Jesus, I believe You are who You said You are. I believe You are God. I believe that You died on the cross for me. I believe that You rose again. I believe that through You I can have forgiveness, so forgive my sins. I'm done living my way come into my life. I want you to be the center. We make him our Savior. But then we make him our Lord. Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life following you. That is grace. That's the life-changing gospel. While we have hope, while we have peace, today. And that's there for you. If you've never made that decision, let today be the day. You won't believe the difference when you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You don't have to have any more fears. Because we know that God has got us safe in his hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that is in you. Thank you for your perfect plan. Thank you that salvation is based on you and not on us, because we would botch it up every time. But you, Jesus, are the perfect one the Holy One, the Righteous One, the One who is worthy. So we trust You. We follow You completely. We are Yours. We thank You for the hope that comes, the salvation that You give. Use us, Lord, as we are part of your family now. We know that we are saved to serve. Use us to take your light, your hope, your peace, to take it out into this neighborhood, into this town, into this state, into this world. We are yours, Lord. Give us grace. Give us peace. pray in the name of our Savior
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. You'll find more messages online by clicking the sermons link at strasburgcommunitychurch.com. You can also take this and other messages with you on the go by downloading our mobile app available at both Apple and Android app stores by simply searching for Strasburg Community Church. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook. If you live nearby or are ever in the area, we'd love to have you stop by and visit us sometime on a Sunday morning. Services happen every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and we're located at 56155 Sunset Avenue in Strasburg, Colorado. Once again, thanks for listening. Be blessed and have a great day.